0: Last week I was talking about what was good for your soul. Fasting is good for your soul, did you know that? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Today's message is probably more teaching than preaching. So it's more kind of, let's have a, let's dig into something a little bit of, a little bit of analysis of what God was saying. Last week when I was speaking, I was talking about good for your soul. This week is called good for your soul too. Get what I did there, see it, good for your soul too. So, it's good for your soul as well. The things we're gonna be looking at this morning are good for your soul. Why on earth would you Worry about your soul because it is the only immortal part of you. Your physical body will die. It will be raised anew, a new body at the resurrection, but your soul goes on forever and ever and ever. And that is why we should look after our souls. I said last week, if you were here last week, I I observed this piece of pithy counsel and advice. It said this, whatever's good for your soul, do that. Do that. Just do it. And you know the thing about this, when I first read this, as I said last week, I thought it was just a bunch of mushy, sentimental nonsense. I thought, yeah, yeah, whatever's good for your soul, do that. I mean, imagine the person who wrote that. And then the more I thought about it, as a Christian, as a Christian, I'm a Christian, I couldn't find an exception to this rule. I simply couldn't find an exception that said, to do something that isn't good for your soul because when we look after our souls, we look pa- after that part of us which will last forever. And they don't want to go over that again. But you know what? So many people out there, their souls are bruised and hurt and wounded and bleeding. There are so many sick and sore souls that you meet in your life every single day. In fact, I can tell you, I've been a Christian since 1986. That feels like an awful long time ago. But you know, since then, my soul has been bruised and hurt and wounded many times. And maybe this morning, your soul feels hurt and bruised and wounded and burdened and maybe even broken this morning. Well, I've got good news for you. God is on the move. He wants to restore your soul. But it's not something he's going to do without you. He'll do it for you, he'll do it with you, but he won't do it without you. You have to participate in this promise. (laughs) A lot of people, if you will, have, sometimes it's referred to as their hearts are being restless. I like what Saint Augustine wrote. Saint Augustine, he lived like around 430, and this is what he wrote. He said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Because Saint Augustine could look around him hundreds and hundreds, over 1,500 years before there was even electricity, and say, people are restless. He could see that people's hearts were restless. He could see as he looked around them that even though there was no major distractions like we suffer from today, people were restless. Their souls and their hearts weren't at peace. I mean, Mick Jagger knew it because he said, I can't get no satisfaction. That's what he meant. His soul was not at peace. That's what Bob Seger said when, there's, when he said, there's a fire inside. It was the fire that people can't control and they can't quench, he knew it. And of course we all know that the boss, Bruce Springsteen said that everybody has a hungry heart. Every one of us brothers and sisters, we all, have hungry hearts and we all have restless hearts. In actual fact, if you were to compare then with now, you'd say that most people's hearts have ADHD and are so distracted and so restless, moving between relationships, moving between jobs, moving between locations, moving between priorities, constantly on the move, never restless, always itchy, trying to move on to the next thing, the next experience, the next high, the next low, the next person, the next relationship, the next job, the next location. People move on. People's hearts are restless and they will never rest until they find their rest in God. If you've come in here this morning and your heart is restless, only Jesus can give you the rest that you love for. Only Jesus can give it. The world ain't going to give it. Only Jesus can give it. Now last week I referred to, and that's why I said this morning, I think it's probably more teaching than anything else. Last week I referred to a passage of scripture. I just read it at the end of the service and it was from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses uh, verses 29 to 31. And uh, many of you are familiar with it. Let, Let me read it to you. And it is, if you will, an invite from Jesus. He offers us an invite. It's an invitation from Jesus. And this is what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary, and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and the burden I give you is light because what he puts on us is very bearable compared to what the world or our culture or even our own desires and bodies will put upon us. What He gives us is so light, it is featherweight compared to the heavy weight that is on our shoulders. But like how does that happen? Because it isn't just Jesus wasn't talking about a miraculous or magic moment. He wasn't. He wasn't. Now, there are times, and I know because I've experienced it, when I've known a burden upon my soul or a burden in my life when I went before God and I lifted it up before him and somehow the burden lifted and I just knew that God was in control. That's absolutely wonderful. But it is not the regular way in which Jesus is referring to here. He was talking about a whole life that is unburdened, not a moment that is unburdened. He's talking about a whole lifespan, not just a month or a week or a season. He's talking about a whole life. But how does he do it? He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's good news. But then he says, take my yoke upon you. What? What What? what does that mean? What does it mean to take my yoke upon you? Well. You know, in Cork that would mean anything at all. Take that yoke there, and put it in here. Yeah? What would me What did you get off your man? I got this yoke, I don't know what it is. Here in Cork we use the term yoke to describe something that we kind of not a hundred percent sure what it is. I don't know. He gave me some kind of a yoke there to turn on the television with. It's called a remote control. Yeah, but it's a yoke, like it uh... so when Jesus is talking about a yoke, he's talking about something very specific. Now, in many cases, the understanding is this people would say, people would say that if I was to follow a rabbi, remember Jesus was a rabbi. If you followed a rabbi, you would take the rabbi's yoke. You would put his way of living on your shoulders. The yoke of a rabbi was the teaching and the lifestyle of the rabbi. That's what his yoke was. So if you said, I am following Rabbi Gamaliel and I'm carrying his yoke, it means that you're following the teaching of Rabbi Gamaliel and you're living the lifestyle the way that Rabbi Gamaliel lives his life. And that's what Jesus means. But when he talks about his yoke, when he talks about his yoke being easy, the people listening to that would have gone, no, 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 yoke's not that easy really. Because the word yoke is normally used to, when it refers to yoking together cattle or oxen to plow fields. That's what they used. They used cattle. It was like they were one horsepower cows, if you know what I'm saying. And they pulled the plow up the field and they would yoked together with a large timber that would connect them and it would be strapped around under their necks and they would pull the plow. It would rest on their shoulders, as it were. But the people listening to Jesus, that probably wasn't the first idea that came into their head when they heard the word yoke. What probably came into their head was the invocation that comes from the Old Testament and references that are alluded to in the Old Testament, and that is the yoke of slavery. Because when somebody was taken into slavery, they were put into a yoke to control the way they behaved. For instance, if an oxen wasn't available to plow a field, a yoke would be put on a couple of slaves and they would pull the plow up a field, if you own slaves. Remember, it's that culture, not this culture. And so when they heard yoke and Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, they were going, hang on a second, isn't that slavery? Jesus says, the yoke that I give you is easy. The yoke that's on you now is true slavery. And they know, they would have known that Jesus was was alluding to this passage, for instance, or one of these passages. This is from Isaiah chapter nine, verse four. Speaking, this is Isaiah speaking of the Lord. He said, Lord, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. They knew that the yoke was an enslaving yoke. So when the Babylonians, or when the Assyrians, or when the Greeks, or when the Romans, or when the Parthians arrived in your land, they conquered your land, and then they would just take slaves freely, put them in a yoke and lead them off. And when you were in the yoke of slavery, you went exactly where your slave master sent you. And that's how the yoke worked. Jesus says, that's the yoke I'm going to take off you, but I'm going to put my yoke on you. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But what was that yoke? When Jesus refers to it, he says, take my yoke upon you. Take upon you my teaching and the way that I live. Are you with me? I'm making sense to you. That's what he meant. Take my teaching and the way that I live upon you. They were, if you will, were to follow the model of the way that Jesus lived. His priorities and his practices were to become their priorities and their practices. And so for us today, Jesus' priorities should be our priorities. Can I get an amen? Jesus' practices really should be our practices because the practices that were offered by the culture aren't setting us free, they're putting us into slavery. They really are. Let me move on. Now Jesus was also alluding to, and this is very important, he's alluding to Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Now the prophet Jeremiah lived at a time when the Babylonians were coming into their own. The Babylonian Empire was becoming the big radical empire. They were going to become the world's biggest power of the time. They were an invading army. They were sweeping across the Levant, that is through modern day northern Iraq and Syria. And they were heading south and they were coming for the city of Jerusalem and for Judea. And they were going to invade this area And take it over But the Lord said This can be held off This needn't necessarily happen If you come back to me If you follow me I will stop the Babylonians In their tracks And you won't be carted off But he said This is what you must do If you are to follow me And follow my ways This is what it says In Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 This is what the Lord says Stop at the crossroads And look around Ask for the old godly way Walk in it. Travel its path. And you will find rest for your souls. You see how Jesus was alluding to this passage when he's talking about it in Matthew chapter 11. He's alluding to the words of the prophet that if you go to the crossroads and look and ask for the old path. Go the old godly way and then walk in it travel its path and you'll find rest for your souls. What a promise. (coughs) Just that, it's, it's, he's, but the prophet is saying to him, that it's really easy. You can avoid the invasion, you can avoid the slavery, you can avoid the pain, you can avoid, um, you can avoid the attacks on your city and your homes and the slaughter of your men, women, and children. All you have to do is go to the crossroads, it's a metaphorical term, and ask for the old godly way and walk in it. But you know, here's a few things that people don't do. People generally don't stop. We live in a manic culture. People are going constantly. They, they'd say, right, I'm going to go to bed early and spend quality time with my phone until I fall asleep with my eyes balls bleeding. Mm-hmm. People are constantly on the move. Have you ever met somebody who do, you, everybody says in our culture, how are you getting on? Oh, very busy. It's like busy is a compliment. <laughs> everybody wants to be busy. Nobody would say, actually I have nothing to do. I'm absolutely bored. Wouldn't that be a wonderful complaint? I often say to my, to my kids, lads, I haven't been bored since I was 14. If I had told my father I was bored, he'd, he'd knock the board of me very fast. We don't stop. We don't look around. People aren't taking the time to take in their surroundings and the decisions and the choices that they're making. They're being driven along by a culture. They don't ask for the old godly way. I often think of men, men sometimes are very slow to ask for directions. If they don't know what way to go, they go, oh no, man, I'm the compass. I can find my own way. Oh, can you really? I find if you ask Sean there, he knows the way to the place. You're going, no, 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 no. How many men here would find it easy to ask for directions? One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, seven of the men inside in this room. So we're approximately 260 people, maybe maybe 280 people, of which that means 140 men, of which seven of them are willing to ask for directions. Pride cometh before you get lost. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. No, no, I will find my way. I will find, no problem, I will find. But darling, we're in the desert. No, no, I will find my way. No, you won't, just ask. We don't ask, but people don't ask. Lord, what is your way? What way do you want me to go in this situation? We don't ask. And then he says, walk in it and travel its path and you will find rest for your soul. Now, can I ask you a simple question? How do you take a journey from A to B? How do you take a journey? You're walking from A to B, you're traveling God's path. How do you travel God's path? How many steps at a time? Come on, do I have to, to spell it out? One step at a time. That's how you take a journey, one step at a time. I walked here to church this morning because I'm able to walk in from, I live in the South City suburbs and I was able to walk in, I walked to church this morning and remarkably, I did it one step at a time. I didn't fly, I didn't spring wings, I didn't float above the ether. I actually walked one step at a time and that's how I made my journey and that's how you make any walking journey, one step at a time. Now you'll understand why I'm talking about that in a second because it says this, if you travel its path one step at a time, you will find rest for your soul. You'll find rest. You needn't be wound up and stressed out and exhausted and under pressure and under burdens and under sin and under shame, take one step at a time and your soul will find rest. Walk in God's ways, walk in the way of forgiveness and grace and love and mercy and God's provision and God's protection and God's presence. Just take one step at a time and you will find rest for your souls. Amen, amen. But you reply, no, 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 no. That's not the road we want. That's what the prophet said that people were saying. We don't want that road. That's a boring road. I don't want to walk a Christian. those lives are so boring. I became a Christian when I was 18 years of age. And if somebody said to me, you're going to become a Christian, I was going to say, no, I'm going to bore for the rest of my life. Becoming a Christian is the most exciting, joy-inducing, enthusiasm-flowing experience you will ever have in your life, ever have. are not a Christian, you're missing out on the joy that God wants to bless your life with and the excitement he wants to bless your life with. But people don't want to walk that road. Ah, that's a boring old road. I have a much more interesting phone that tells me what I can do with my life. One writer wrote this. He said, we want the AI generated, social media moderated, commercial media inundated, secular culturated, secular culture saturated way, but that is not the road to rest. That's the one that people want. It's AI generated. It's made up by a bloody machine. Excuse my language. It's made up by a machine. So much of what we want, it's made up by machines. You go, I want to go to the movies, it's all AI generated, like, hello? People aren't really flying in those planes. Let's close in front. <laughs> It's social media moderated, concerned about what people think of us, how we will live, how we look, where we're going, what we're doing, what Shawnee's doing, what Mary's doing, why doesn't their life compare to mine? We're moderating our lives through social media. When I say we, the culture is. We are commercial media inundated. You're only worth what you can buy. That's all. That's all you are. You're only worth what you can buy. And of course, secular culture is saturated. The values of the culture are continually saturating us, saturating us, saturating us. I'm not saying this of you. I know that you're wiser. I know that you haven't put your foot into that trap and I mean that sincerely. But so many of the people that you meet, that's the actual road they want. But there's no rest on that road. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, follow me? He didn't mean follow me down to Jerusalem so that you'll know the way to get to Jerusalem next time. What did he mean by follow me? He meant live the way then I live. No, does that mean you're gonna to have to get sandals and a robe? No, it doesn't. Doesn't mean you're gonna to have to ride on a donkey or something like that. No, it doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is have his priorities and have his practices in your life. That's what it means. John wrote this to the early Christians. He said, Those who obey God's word true that they show excuse me, truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Listen? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Ouch. Because I only came for the blessing this morning, if that's okay with you. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And of course, John's not writing that to condemn the Christians that he's writing to. He says the exact opposite in his letter. He says, I'm writing to to tell you that you have new life in Jesus, the Son of God. And if you want to continue living in that new life, if you want to continue living in that peace and that refreshment and that joy and that enthusiasm and that salvation, you need to live your life as Jesus lived his life. What would Jesus do? Do what Jesus did. That's what he says. That's what he says. No, that is like, oh, that's so easy because Jesus didn't have Netflix and Jesus didn't have the culture we live in. And Jesus didn't have fancy cars and there wasn't big businesses and banks and jobs and stress and all that kind of stuff. That's okay. Trust me, they had stresses of their own. Jesus said it himself, sufficient for each day is the worry of it. Every day has enough worries. Don't you worry, there's plenty of stress in Jesus' time. None of us are worried about the Romans kicking in our front door and killing all of our family, are we? (laughs) Trust me, they had plenty of stress. They had plenty of stress. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So how did Jesus live his life? Here is what I'm calling the fast five. Here's a fast five ways that Jesus lived that we should follow as an example for us and for our lives. We up for that? Fast five, here we go, fast five. Here's a big surprise. The first one is called prayer. It's prayer. He prays. That's what Christians do. Christians pray. Are you a Christian Yeah. Do you pray? No, you're not a Christian. (laughs) Christians pray. It's it's a demonstration of faith. Do you know when you speak Mm. to the silence? Mm. Do you know when you look up to the ceiling and you say, Lord, hear my prayer today? Mm. That is faith in action. Mm. Your neighbor who looks in and doesn't know what you're doing thinks, Michael has gone mad. He's talking to the ceiling again. And he's singing to himself as he walks along. No, I'm expressing and stepping and walking in faith. That's what it is, that's what it is. Here's what it says of Jesus. Early in the morning, hallelujah, we love the early morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. He continually went and he continually prayed. If you're a Christian, you should pray. Can I get an amen from you? If you're a Christian, you should pray. Here's a simple piece of advice. Okay? When you pray, keep it honest. Mm. Keep it simple. Mm. And keep it up. That's it. Mm. Keep it honest, because God knows. Keep it simple, because God knows. Mm. And keep it up, because God sees. Mm. God sees. That is an expression of your faith. So he prayed, we know that. Another thing he did was, everyone's favorite. Hallelujah, we love fasting. He fasted. Jesus fasted, and he didn't just put away his mobile phone for the evening, oh no. He didn't just fast from social media for a couple of hours. He didn't just decide to go without meat for a day and a half. He fasted without food. This is, it's called like going without food. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted, and I love it says, and he became very hungry. And in the Greek afterwards, in brackets afterwards, it says erinah. Of course, he got hungry. He was very hungry. But he got stronger as he got hungrier. You know, some people say that the devil came to Jesus when he fasted for 40 days because because that's when he was weak. That is not what the Bible is teaching. What the Bible is teaching is that when Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was strong to be able to defeat the devil. Not weak. It wasn't, all. Exposed expose my vulnerability, not at all. He was strong after those 40 days. But for us, we fast for 40 hours and we think we're gonna die. Ah, my calorie counter, where are you gone? The fridge is going, open me, open me. And every ad you see in your TV, which you're not watching because you're fasting and praying, but every ad you see on your feed is McDonald's. Oh Lord, i trying to fast. Oh, McDonald's and Burger King. Oh, have it your way. They haven't used that slow for a while. What's the, what's the current McDonald's phrase? What's the current one? Are you yeah, right? Oh, you're so spiritual. What's that? I'm loving i <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's, I'm lovin' it. Ah. And when you're hungry, you really love it. Do you ever notice that? Ah. Yeah. McDonald's, you feel like, Ronald, I love you, I wanna hug you, Anyway, <laughs> He hasn't been around for a while. He led him, but this was a practice of Jesus. Now, the early Christians did not generally fast for 40 days and 40 nights, in case you're thinking, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, so I must fast for 40 days and 40 nights. If you are going to do that, you need a strong word from God, in yeah. my opinion, that would not be wise unless you're really solid and really well set up with the Lord and with the support group around you who are there for you to advise you and counsel. I mean that sincerely, because some people will die if they don't eat for 40 days. It actually happens. But what the early church did was they fasted for shorter periods regularly, so they would have fasted maybe once a week or once a month. Quite common actually for them to fast once a month, believe it or not. That be, kind of came to culture, uh, especially towards the towards the kind of three hundreds, four hundreds. The Christian church began to adopt Friday as a day of fasting, and every Friday was what they would call a black fast. You would eat no meat on a Friday. Sometimes you'd eat fish, depending on the culture and so on and so forth. But they would fast every week or they would fast every month and they would abstain for a short period as a demonstration of a life lived following Jesus. Anyway, moving on, fasting. I bet we're all glad that the week of fasting's all over. Amen. Amen. You can tell how few of you were fasting. Moving on. He also did this. He was feasting. Hallelujah. Okay. If we're not gonna be enthusiastic about feasting, I really can't help you. Jesus was always going to parties. Here's what it says. It says the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and yet you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus couldn't please his critics. Here's an idea, don't try and please your critics ignore your critics. Follow Jesus. Do what God says is best with your life and ignore your critics. Can you get an amen? It's the only way to build a life. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was hanging around with the wrong people. He was eating the wrong kind of food with the wrong kind of crowd. Well, it was clear that Jesus would eat and drink regularly. He was at loads of parties. Look it up, look at your gospels. It's all over the place. He's in Zacchaeus' house, he's in uh, Lazarus' house, Martha Mary's house, same house. He's at Simon the leper's house. He's at another significant uh, lepers, uh, uh, significant Pharisees. So the next week says in several places, even in the home of a significant Pharisee. He also uh, feasted with his disciples at the Last Supper. He also ate with his disciples after the resurrection on the lakeside in Galilee and in the house with they were hiding in Jerusalem so actually Jesus spent an awful lot of time feasting as well as fasting we have to do both the key here to the feasting however is social interaction it's connecting with other people. It's not isolating yourself. It's not just you and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. Can I get a hand? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, our Father who yeah. is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give who? Us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil that's it was not me and Jesus it's we and Jesus and that is so important that you connect with other people for some of you it's really hard you get social anxiety but I I want to say to you press past the social anxiety and just see what God does in your life just see the connections that God makes for you in your life another thing that Jesus did he went for solitude he went away on his own now for some of us that's really hard some of us find this really hard I mean, certainly when I was younger, I really hated solitude. I didn't like my own company that much. I love it, now, but I didn't really like my own company that much. I actually spent a lot of time around people, a lot of people being distracted. I just want to be on my, of course the motto today is I just want to be on my own with Jesus and my phone. Hallelujah. <laughs> get rid of your phone, get into solitude. This is what it says of Jesus again. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He withdrew. He went away, he didn't take his phone with him, and neither should you. Walk off, no one's gonna die, you're okay. There was plenty of emergencies before you owned the mobile phone and you never missed any of them. Leave it behind and go and be alone with the Lord. Can I get an amen? That's what Jesus did. He went in solitude to be with his father. So he prayed, he fasted, he feasted, he went in solitude and of course the last one for today's fast five is this, he served. He went into service, serving others. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Slave. We don't like that word.
1: Must become your
0: slave. Lord, could you not have given us a lighter word than that, like nice servant or something like that? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's five practices. If you serve and you give to others, you're the one who ends up getting blessed. Amen. There's a biblical promise, Book of Proverbs says it. He who waters will himself be watered. He who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. That's what happens. You get refreshed by giving and by serving and by loving others, you're the one who's blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. So here's five simple practices. Pray, fasting, feasting, solitude, and service. There's five things that Jesus did that if we implicate or if we implement into our lives will make our lives better and give us greater rest and greater peace in our lives. Who doesn't want greater rest and greater peace? I want it. If you want it, will you raise your hand? Greater rest, greater peace in your life. See, we all want it. We're all looking for it. We all want it. And Jesus has pointed out to us a way that if you follow me, And you do what I did, you will experience that peace and rest. But it gets better than that. All of these things are not just good for your soul, they're also good for your body. The science is already in. The science is in. It says, all the research has been done about people who practice their Christian faith. People who practice their faith. Not people who just believe in some vague way, but people who actually practice their faith. There's loads and loads, tons of um, medical research to show that these people are live longer, happier, healthier lives. Here's just a couple of examples. or Actually, here's a good list of examples of things that happen to people who practice their faith. They have increased dopamine levels. L- let me translate. They're happier. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. They have higher dopamine levels. They get the happy drug. Because they're following Jesus, because they're practicing and following the Lord. Because they sing with other people, and they sing joyous songs, and enthusiastic songs, and glad songs. And they lay down their burdens with Jesus. And they have good friends who love them, and pray for them. And they're looking forward to the next day, because God's mercies are new every morning. They have higher dopamine levels. Hallelujah, God wants His people to be happy people. Can I get an amen? Amen. They have higher, and move quickly, they have decreased... Metabolic rate. Decreased metabolism is the wrong way to put it. Decreased metabolic rate. In other words, they're not as stressed out all the time. Their heart rate is slower. They have a, a lower resting heart rate. People who practice their faith, people who practice solitude, people who practice silence, people who practice prayer, all of these things, they have a slower heart rate, which is better, so a healthier heart. They have lower blood pressure, hallelujah. They're just not as stressed out all the time. That's what happens to people who practice their faith. All of these are acts of faith. They have calmer and more regulated breathing. Let me go on. They have slower brain waves. They're not all wired up and all agitated, and their brain waves. i And all their brain waves are not all over the place. They have got slower brain waves, calmer brain waves, and have a greater sense of control. They also have a boosted immune system. When you pray, your immune system gets a boost. Hallelujah. Did you know that when you sing and when you clap your hands and you raise your hands and even if you dance in worship, your, your immune system gets a boost? Amen? Do Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. you want to boost an immune system? Yes. Talk to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> It lessens the severity and the frequency and range of illnesses. They suffer from less metabolic disorders, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, and arr- arrhythmia of the heart, um, uh, issue, other issues related to metabolic disorders. They also have less cancer, Yep. less cancer, Christians really have less God. cancer and less physical disabilities they have less yeah. of all of these things less disabling illnesses and when even when they do manage to get those horrible illnesses here's more good news they coped better with the illness and lived longer than people with the same illness two men get the same illness Jerry doesn't pray, doesn't believe in God he dies faster than Shawnee who prays and believes in God and practices his faith but that's simple longer life because your body and your soul are completely connected. What happens to your body, happens to your soul. What happens to your soul, happens to your body. It really does, and remember this, wherever you put your body, that's where you're putting your soul. So if you're putting your body into a bad place, into a bad space, into bad company, that's where your soul is going to. You don't come out of it clean. That's for all of our lives. But here is the research, and you can look it up, just Google your brains out, it really is all there. You look up the research, find out what what benefits there are for people who practice their faith, and you will find all of these things. So your body, and your soul, and your relationships, both externally and internally with yourself, you have more peace with your neighbors, you have more peace with your wife. Can any of the men say amen? Amen. And you have more peace with your husbands. I know the women won't say amen, so I'm not gonna bother with that. You have more peace with your husband, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. More peace, hallelujah. But it is walked Step by. Amen. It's not going to happen tomorrow morning. You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and all of these benefits are yours. All of these benefits are potentially yours. But you must walk the walk step by step. Step by step. We walk, if you will, the Jesus way. Walk the way of Jesus. Eugene Peterson was a Christian who served in ministry for 60 years, over 60 years and he wrote the message translation of the Bible. It's also a paraphrase of the Bible, but he wrote the message translation. And he, after 60 years of ministry, being a pastor, came to this conclusion. He said, the Jesus truth, only when it is wedded to the Jesus way, produces the Jesus life. Mm -hmm. It's only the Jesus truth wedded to the Jesus way. It's not just knowing the truth, it's walking the walk as well. It is stepping into these things. Now brothers and sisters, none of us are there. Can I get an amen? amen. None of us are fully completed. We're all just apprentices of Jesus. Amen. Just apprentices of Jesus. There's In my household at the moment, we have three apprentices. My three sons are all apprentices. Remarkably, all apprentices, all in the same field of craft electrics. And, and yet, even though there are three of them, they are all apprentices at different stages of their skills. So one of them knows everything inside out backwards and one of them knows very, very, very little but they're all training to do the same thing. And it's the same for Christians inside in this room. Some Christians here, we are apprentices, yeah, but we're like back in first year apprenticeship. You only became a Christian last year. You don't know the ropes. You're only learning to follow Jesus. For some of us, we've been Christian for decades and we're that bit of further. So we find these practices way easier to implement than you might find to implement. But I would say this to you, if you want to keep being an apprentice of Jesus, Just keep following the Jesus way And it will bring rest to your soul But it's even better Because God gives us something else Jesus gives us something else And that is what he gives He gives the spirit So he empowers you Listen He empowers you To do the practices that Jesus did You're not just doing them in your own strength You're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit At work in you Do you find it hard to be alone? Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give me the power to say no to company and just to be here with you. Do you find it hard to fast? Lord, by your Holy Spirit, empower me to say no to food today. Do you find it hard to pray? Lord, I really find it hard to pray. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge to know and to do what pleases you. He'll give it to you. Do you know why I know that? Because Jesus said, Your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to his children. You can read it yourself in Matthew's gospel. And he says, Will he not give you even more the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you ask for the Holy Spirit for this purpose, not to make it famous. Not to make you proud, not to make you well-known, not to make you great, but to make you a better follower of Jesus. I, you have my personal guarantee, you can confront me in it, that God will give you the power of his Holy Spirit so that you can follow Jesus in a greater, deeper, stronger way. Amen. What does Paul write to the Galatian church? He says this, he says, I say this, let the Spirit direct your lives and then you won't be satisfying the desires of your human nature. You won't be dragging, but just let the Spirit direct you. Let the power of God direct you. Let the wisdom of God. Instead of living in the AI generated, social media moderated, commercial media inundated, secular culture saturated way, you can live in the Jesus generated, Bible moderated, grace inundated, yeah. Holy Spirit saturated way. Yeah. That's how you can live. So I say walk in the spirit, same translation, the different translation, same verse, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Does anybody here want to experience the power of God at work in them so that they can walk closer to Jesus, know more of his grace, know more of his rest, and more of his peace? If that's your prayer, will you raise your hand wherever you are? I'm going to ask you, will you stand with me? We're going to worship, we're going to sing, we're going to pray. The lads are coming up. I've got one last verse that I want to show you. What is the spirit? What is the spirit? Let me tell you something very important that we sometimes don't get into our heads and into our hearts. I know I don't and I'm out it a long time. So I'm, I'm afraid some of you probably don't get it either. I hope you do. I hope I'm the only idiot who doesn't get it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, and he said this to them. He said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Amen. That's what he said. The same spirit, not a different spirit, not a different magical spirit with different powers or different influences. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he goes on to say. And if he does, he will quicken your mortal body, bring your mortal body back to life. Hallelujah. So what is that spirit that dwelt in Jesus? Well, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, spoke of the coming Messiah and the spirit that would be upon him. And this is what he said. Out of the stump of David's family, King David's family will grow a shoot yes a new branch bearing fruit from the old root and the spirit of the lord will rest on him and if the spirit of the lord that rested on him is the same spirit of the lord that will rest on you will rest on you what is that spirit is it goes it says it's a spirit of wisdom and understanding a spirit of counsel and strength a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord And what does the spirit of fear of the Lord tell us to do? What are you talking about, Michael? The spirit of the fear of the Lord is the one that counsels you and enables you to walk in the old way of Jesus. That's literally what it means. It means that that is the spirit of yours. If you want to know that spirit at work in your life, will you raise your hand again wherever you are? We're going to worship Jesus. Because all of this is only possible because Jesus went to the cross for us. Hallelujah. All of this is only possible because of what he did on the cross and when he rose from the grave to give us new life. Hallelujah! Amen! Lord, we trust in you for the week to come. Yes, Lord. We pray, Lord, that in everything we do, we would walk in your plans and in your purposes and in your power and in your presence every day, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for the person standing next to us while we reach our hand out towards the cross we pray for the person next to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, and God's people said